You're listening to Utah Lake Facts, Fiction, and Fun, a Utah Lake Commission podcast. Hello and welcome back to the Utah Lake Facts, Fiction, and Fun podcast. My name is Sam Brager, your podcast host. And in today's episode, we actually have several, I think might even be an understatement, uh, guests on the podcast. Um, This episode is a compilation of some little mini interviews that we did with a variety of individuals at the commemoration of the 20th anniversary of the June Sucker Recovery Implementation Program. Now, this happened uh, just a week or two ago here at the end of May, and the event was centered on highlighting all that the program has accomplished in 20 years. Now, Biggest accomplishment you've heard of on the podcast before was the downlisting of the endangered species to threatened status. So the June suckers no longer threatened as of, I think it was uh, February or January of last year. Uh, So there's a great podcast episode on that you can check out or more info on our website too. But today we, in this episode today, we interviewed people to cover how they're, we're feeling. There's some of these people that have been involved in the recovery efforts for June Sucker for 20, 30 or more years. I think one might've been almost 40 years that they were involved from the very beginning. And there's been great successes like the downlisting, um, the Pro River Delta project being approved and under construction now, uh, the Hobble Creek restoration project that happened uh, some time ago. A lot of great things. So we wanted to share with you thoughts and feelings from those who've been involved for so long and put in so much effort to help recover this endangered species. So listen in. Um, they'll introduce themselves. You'll see they come from a variety of groups and organizations and skill sets. Yeah, my name's Chris Kelleher, and I'm the director for the June Sucker Recovery Implementation Program. And uh, I've been involved with June Sucker Recovery uh, since the mid-1990s. and uh, I started out as a field biologist and then uh, worked uh, with the Central Utah Water Conservancy District as uh, the original uh, coordinator for the June Sucker Recovery Program and we put the program together while I was at that office with our partners and uh, and uh, eventually I moved up to uh, being the director of the program. And uh, it's but, a great honor to be Oh, part totally. Of it, yeah, as know? I say, I know it's been a long time. Like he said, for you, it's been, sounds like almost 30 oh, years. Full career, yeah. I mean, how do you feel about it? I know downlisting last year was a great accomplishment. We had you on the podcast then. But today, what are your thoughts? Um, you know, just appreciation for all the partners that, that didn't give up and, and saw the vision and made it happen you know as a as a field biologist before the partnership was developed uh it really did not seem possible to prevent the extinction of june sucker Uh, we just didn't have the resources to do it we didn't have the right players working on it and when the partnership formed it pulled in the water users that could help us get flow in the provo river for spawning fish it, uh, we pulled in the mitigation commission that, that helped with uh, habitat restoration work. Um, just had all the right players from the start. And uh, it's just, uh, the, as a partnership, we've made progress the whole way. And it's just been a great, uh, a great thing to be a part of. And 
really what I feel today is just appreciation and wonder for what we can accomplish if people set their minds to it and get together. And, and really it's all about responsible uh, resource use and development in the context of environmental restoration. For sure. And, well, uh, thank you for all you've work. done, Chris. We appreciate oh. it and uh, appreciate you coming on the podcast again with us. Reed Harris, uh, I was originally the program director for the June Sucker Recovery Program and I've been a biologist working on endangered species throughout uh, the West including the Colorado River, Virgin River. Uh, originally this program I thought would we'd be hard-pressed to save this fish simply because there were so few of them and uh, the needs are so great here for water. For sure. Um, but with the help and cooperation of Central Utah Water Conservancy District, Provo River Water Users, all the, all the different water users, as well as the environmental community got behind us, and we started a program, a cooperative program, with the goals of saving the fish and uh, getting the water that people needed over here for sure um, and i know from the beginning at least our staff have encountered a lot of people who have said oh we hate the june sucker or it's not worth anything it's a trash for etc etc things they're negative but seeing what's been accomplished in the last 20 years what would your response be to people well the endangered species act is never really about saving an individual animal most people think it's all about the fish but the reality of it is the fish can't live without a functioning ecosystem and Utah Lake is is really what we're trying to save and I think everybody can agree that Utah Lake needs some tender loving care because it's really what this whole thing is about and I believe that once we save the June sucker and the ecosystem Utah Lake will be a much more viable valuable uh, ecosystem for the people who live here and I'm just anxious to see where it might go in the future because uh, uh, they've accomplished some amazing things here not only for the fish but for the, the local environment as well. My name is Michael Mills. Um, currently, I'm the Deputy Executive Director for the Utah Reclamation Mitigation and Conservation Commission. We're one of the agencies that participates in the June Sucker Recovery Program and currently working on the Provo River Delta Project. Um, prior to this job, I worked for 12 years as the coordinator for the June Sucker Recovery Program. And this is a really exciting day. Um, to think that we've been doing this for 20 years right? is is kind of amazing. Yeah, um, it's it's gone by quickly. Um, it's a little bit ironic. We wanted to have a celebration when we did the downlisting, mm -hmm. and the pandemic kind of didn't let that happen. Just just a little bit. <laughs> yeah, <laughs> we wanted to have a celebration when we broke ground on the Delta project. Pandemic messed yeah, with that one too. I remember. Yeah. With that. And so it's great to have this opportunity to just bring everybody down and be able to, you know, congratulate people, thank them. It's, it's been a big effort to keep everyone together. And to see Reed Harris speak today 
he he was one of the the great visionary people that really saw the potential of the June sucker. And one of the things he would always say to me is, you got to keep everyone in the boat. And just a constant reminder of, of a common goal that we were working towards. And we, we talk a lot about June Sucker recovery. We love June Sucker yeah. and we do these projects for it. Um, but the benefits are, are huge and they span across everybody who, who uses the lake. This morning we had um, the Assistant Secretary for Water and Science from the Department of Interior down on Hobble Creek, showing him some of the work that we've done. And there's a spot down there, you walk around a corner and then you just see this meandering stream of Hobble Creek right next yeah. to a park. And, you know, he mentioned, God, I'd like to fly fish. And we're like, <laughs> yeah, this it's is perfect for that. Oh, yeah. totally. And we provide water down there, we've restored the stream, and we do all that for June Sucker. Yet, you know, here's a beautiful stream full of water, full of trout that exists because of a June Sucker project. And so even for the people who maybe aren't the biggest fans of June Sucker, I would hope that they could see the connection to our projects, to a healthy ecosystem. And the benefits are amazing. Mark Holden. I'm the executive director for another week <laughs> of the Utah Reclamation Mitigation and Conservation Commission. Uh, I've been on the administration committee for the June Sucker Recovery Program since its inception. Uh, and actually, I've been involved in efforts for June Sucker Recovery back into the 90s. And even in the 1980s, when I worked for the Division of Wildlife Resources, I helped do some of the in-stream flow studies that were uh, used to try to determine spawning flow requirements and things like that. So, yeah. That's amazing. So what, what are your thoughts today? Well, I, I'm, I'm really proud of the fact that this program has not only persisted, but succeeded in, yeah. its, in its 20 years. It's accomplished so much more than I think most people probably thought was possible when we first set out and established the dual goals, you know, one, to recover the June sucker, but also to, at the same time, allow for water development and water use to continue. And, uh, and that, was, that was essential. The two, two goals are, are linked, and we realized and committed ourselves to the idea that you can't have one without the other. Oh, definitely. And uh, the efforts through the years, uh, people working together, I think are just remarkable. Uh, I'm pleased to be, uh, you know, a part of this 20th celebration. It's, it's For sure. Yeah, it's really nice. When I know with the downlisting last year, if I remember correctly, it's one of five fish species, if I remember correctly, right, to ever be downlisted? That's right. One of very few that have been downlisted. Yeah. So what, what are your thoughts about the, the future to come? I think that uh, recovery of the June Tucker is possible, and uh, not only possible, but I think we're going to get there. It's going to take some time still. Uh, the Delta Restoration Project is one component of that, uh, restoring some of the habitat that young June Sucker need to be able to survive for the first couple of years of their life. Uh, having that habitat restored. Uh, we're expecting to finish that restoration project in about 2024. And uh, I think from there, uh, 
that's been the last big hurdle that we've identified. Sure, habitat. Uh, yeah, habitat, restoring the habitat. Now, it's going to be an ongoing challenge uh, for the June Sucker program. I think Chris Kelleher commented on the fact that it's a species that even after it becomes uh, delisted, excuse me, is taken off the list. It's a species that will require some management on into sure. the future. And the management involves uh, in-stream flow work, you know, the procurement and the management of water uh, to keep water in the river in the new delta. Which the program's done a great job of setting up for the future as well. They have. And it's going to become more challenging in the future. Uh, I'm afraid that, you know, climate change is going to lead to some changes in in our lives that uh, we haven't yet fully anticipated sure and i think managing stream flows is going to be one of those uh, that becomes more challenging but we've got a great group of people you know committed to work together to make that happen so definitely uh, yeah i feel i feel positive about the future the delta restoration project like i said has kind of been the last missing big element that the program hadn't addressed yet. And it's been a long-term process to get there. Uh, you know, we started talking about it in the 2000s, and uh, I'm, I'm glad to see that uh, we are where we are today with it. My name's Keith Lawrence, and I'm the Native Aquatics Project Leader for the DWR in the Springville office. That's the Central Region office. Awesome. And so how are you involved in the June Sucker recovery efforts? Okay, so as a project leader, I oversee a couple of biologists, one of whom is the June Sucker biologist, and then I also uh, represent the, the division, along with Dale Funken, who's a June Sucker biologist, on the... Uh, Recovery Program Technical Committee. Awesome. So today, with the 20th anniversary, looking at all the programs accomplished, what are your thoughts? I'm really amazed at what's been accomplished. Uh, like a lot of the folks, that, from what they've been saying, uh, when you're down to a few hundred fish, you got and you started probably with millions in the lake at one time, you got to wonder if you were too late. Sure. And that, and that and that people didn't give up, you know, the partnerships that were created and sustained through the years and uh, just some really dedicated, innovative uh, individuals who devised how they were going to bring the June sucker back and have carried it through to the point where now we have tens of thousands of fish. Uh, I, I, I feel privileged, really, to have gotten into it, even late in the game as I have, to see what's, what's happened and to play a small part is really something. Awesome. And on the more technical side of things, if you will, like you said, with your, your role you play, what are your thoughts about the future from here moving forward with the June Sucker program? I'm really optimistic, you know, with the Delta. Um, you know, with the June Sucker program, as with many other attempts to recover endangered fishes, the bottleneck is usually with the very small, you know, recruiting juvenile fish to the population so that you can get that cycle going. And that's a struggle that they've been having for years, as everyone is aware. The, the uh, uh, completion of the delta will hopefully create the kind of habitat that's needed to support a burgeoning population of spawning June suckers in the Provo River. And we're just anxious to see how that succeeds. We have some preliminary data that shows that we're already getting a fair amount of natural recruitment. You know, not huge, but some from out of Hobble Creek, where there's been some restoration work. 
but we're going about to see it on a scale that will dwarf that, you know, on the Provo River. So we're really excited to see how far we can come. And, and if we can recruit substantial numbers of fish to the uh, adult population, that, that may be what we need really to achieve a self-sustaining population. And, and that's really the critical part of, of delisting the species. So I am Sarah Sutherland with the Central Utah Water Conservancy District. I'm their environmental programs manager. Okay, and how does that role relate to the June Sucker program directly? So at the district, um, our water development, well, let me back up. As we were developing the Central Utah project, we started realizing, Fish and Wildlife started realizing our water development, you know, Jordan L. Dam, um, Diamond Fork, the pipeline system coming through Diamond Fork, these systems are having an impact on the water in the Provo River. Sure, it's all tied together. All tied together. So Fish and Wildlife said, you know, we've got to list this species and your projects are connected to these species. Therefore, you're going to become part of this program. If you want to continue developing water for the public, you're also going to help recover this fish species. So Central Utah got into the program because of that environmental connection of our projects gotcha. and the impact on the fish. And speaking of uh, Central Utah Water's involvement, uh, from what I understand, you're quite familiar with the environmental process of, I think it was the Pro River Delta project, the NEPA process. So could you tell listeners a little bit about, and I know there's a lot of detail you could share, I'm sure, <laughs> but kind of a brief version of what, what really had to go into trying to get that all approved so that this awesome project could support such a great program. Yeah, so um, because the Delta is such a major undertaking, we knew that that would be an environmental impact statement level of NEPA document. NEPA is the National Environmental Policy Act. Um, environmental impact statement is your largest NEPA document. It's very intensive because you're saying, we realize we're going to have potentially significant impacts. Moving the Provo River into it's a pretty significant impact, yeah, right? Yeah, yeah. That's and big. 260 acres of land. We're talking about a lot. Yeah, that's a big deal. And, you know, it's a big deal to the public sure. that love the existing conditions, they love the, the parkway trail. And so that change, you know, that's a big deal to them. And, and so to make sure we communicated clearly, you know, we went through this big process. And Central Utah's involvement, we were one of the joint lead agencies. So Utah Mitigation, Reclamation, and Conservation Commission, URMCC. Nailed it. <laughs> <laughs> I always have to think through their acronym, I know, those poor guys. Um, they were the lead federal agency on the project, Department of Interior, Cupca Office was another joint lead agency, and then Central Utah Water was the third joint lead agency on the environmental impact statement. Um, so together as partners, we went through that process. With an environmental impact statement, you know, you do huge public scoping to make sure the public has an opportunity right up front to know, here's what we're proposing, sure. what's your input, what's your concerns, you know, make sure that we address those. So we did that initial public scoping, got a lot of really good feedback oh, from, yeah, from the sure. neighbors, from the landowners, from the cities involved in it. Um, then we went through the analysis, which is intensive to look at water quality, impacts to threatened and endangered species. I mean, we've got you ladies' tresses on the project area. Sure. What's going to be impacted and is it going to be good or bad yeah, impact, right? Yeah, how okay. does that look um, moving forward? So a very intensive analysis to look at all the environmental resources of good, bad, how do those impacts play out. Wrote a draft environmental impact statement, took that back out to the public and to the agencies to say, this is our analysis, give us your feedback. Sure. 
went through that. Again, another very public process to get their feedback. Um, we had great comments come back from the, the local landowners saying, hey, can, can you tweak the boundary here? Can you tweak the boundary here? This will work better for our property, our land, and still work okay for your project. Um, we had great impact, good, good feedback from the local residents that use the Parkway Trail. Sure. that said, you know, we want you to keep the water flowing in that existing river channel so that we can still have that same experience that we have right now and build your delta. So we figured out how do we balance that water so we can preserve the existing channel, preserve that experience, but also create that new delta experience that is going to help with recovery of the June sucker, sure. but also be a recreation amenity to Utah County. Um, so great feedback from everybody. Got through the final environmental impact statement, and the final document you do is a record of decision. Mm -hmm. We were able to reach a record of decision, which then once that is done, then we can move forward and start acquiring property, start doing the the design for the project, all those details. Sure. So this, I mean, how many years was this? It took us... Just for the NEPA process. It was I mean. at least five wow. for the NEPA process. Yeah, That's some serious patience. It's, it's patience. <laughs> and, and I love that what you talked about, too, hits on a lot of what I've heard in these other interviews today, which is partnerships. The yeah. value of, of stakeholder as well as agency partnerships, of getting that input and trying to work together, because it really takes everybody coming to the table yeah. for something like this to happen. It does, and that's why it takes that long to make sure you get to the right people, to give them time, to give their feedback, to be able to analyze that feedback. Sure. And come out with a document that everybody's had a chance to give their input and wait. Oh, totally. In. So with all the hard work you and others put into the NEPA process and everything else that's going on, how's it feeling today? It feels huge. I mean, I, I've only been I've only been part of the program for let's see, I'm 17 years in, so I'm a baby. <laughs> I'm a baby. Well, I was going to say, Russ might be a little bit more of a baby than you, <laughs> okay. but Russ you're right. Are, There's some people who have been involved for 30 years. These doing guys this. have been here for 30 years. It's They've crazy. been here from the listing of that species and that initial process of how do we help? What can we do? What can we tweak and, and kind of manipulate to make sure that we can get water to the fish and water to the people? And these people have been at the table for 30 years working on this. And so this is a major milestone, and it's great to be a part of it and to be able to rub shoulders with these people that have been so committed for this long. So Russ Franklin, I am... With the June Sucker Recovery Implementation Program, the position I think now is called the Assistant Program Director. I think it's what it is. Was the local coordinator? Doesn't matter. So um, I've been here doing this now about a year and a half is what I've been doing this. Uh, so thoughts on the program? Yeah, I know we've uh, talked so, to a lot of people yeah. involved for a long time. You've only been here recently, but how does it feel today? No, it feels good. Uh, you know, everyone's going to say that. it feels good. Twenty years is a big milestone. I was talking with Chris Kelleher. We went, we were talking earlier today. Um, and he's a program director, and we were discussing this before everybody got here. But what people don't understand is how unique it is. Um, you know, there's if you if you look at it, number one, what's unique is that we went from of spawning individuals less than 300, probably yeah. closer to 200 spawning individuals. Um, on top of that, that was in the in the river. If you look at what they transported to the hatchery, it was less than 25 pairs. So less than 50 from less than 50 fish, I forget the exact number, from less than 50 fish, now we have over between the estimates between 30,000 and 50,000 spawning individuals. Which is just insane to see so, how awesome yeah, that's been. Yeah, but I mean, imagine that. So 
I think 50, 50 fish. From 50 fish now we have, you know, 50,000 spawning. Yeah. And, and the total population we've transported this year will hit, I think, over a million fish that have been stocked into Utah Lake. So 50 fish, now we have a million that, are, that, are, that have been raised in captivity and that have been transported and relocated into the lake. Um, other things to think about, any endangered species, uh, it's very hard for it to become off the list or even sure. or even downlisted. I think the last count uh, between delisting and downlisting is 110 species. I think it was the last count. Uh, fish species, this is more or less, de depending upon how you count the timing, is the fourth fish species that's actually been moved, not for a class because of the classification. Mm -hmm. um, it's the fourth fish species that's been downlisted. So obviously, you know, that, that that's another unique part about it. But the biggest unique thing about the program is how everybody works together. I that, love that. Everybody has talked about that today. Yeah. And, 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 and until you get in other states and you, until you see how other example, uh, one state that, you know, comes to mind is in California. A lot of times when you have different users, um, their, their initial, when they need to work with each other, the initial go-to is to sue each other. So, that, no, no, I mean, that, that, that's, you know, and I, I've had multiple people at different conferences over this past year and a half that have stopped by, especially out of the state, and especially from California, that asked, well, how did you get everybody? You've got federal, you've got state, you've got yeah. local you've entities. You've got water users, and you've got yes. conservation, I mean, you've got so many different entities. So, all their mandates, all their goals, you know, don't necessarily align. You know, how do you, how do you get them to work together? And, obviously, I wasn't here for the genesis of the whole program 20 years ago, um, but... But they all got on the same page. And yes, there's probably been bumps and some arguments throughout the years. But as you saw today, there's a great camaraderie. But everybody is is committed to delisting the, the species and to moving it forward. So that's why you get so many different agencies, you know, with this with a common goal, an overarching goal, even though they have their, you know, and, and it makes it work because everyone listens to the other people, especially... Sure. And, and, and people are being reasonable in, in a in a time when most people aren't reasonable. The world is turning more and more unreasonable. No one wants to give in to you know to quote unquote any side. Sure. Um, th this is because, like I said, every agency has what they, they each agency has its mandate. Um, you know whether it's the fish and wildlife, whether it's the water users, because we do have uh, three different water users. We have the Department of Interior, Bureau of Reclamation. Uh, division of Wildlife Resources or Division of Natural Resources, depending upon, um, you know, the timing, you know, so that, that, that's the unique part is that everyone's committed and they and everybody does pony up. Not only do they pony up monetarily, but they 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 come to the table. They want to be engaged. They, they want. Oh, to, yeah. And, Eric tells me that every time he attends your meetings, like everyone is so involved yeah. and so engaged. And, and, I mean, they, everyone has a stake in it. And, sure. And, and that's and they have we have major buy in. Oh, totally. And that's how Wyatt's and has made. seen a lot of great successes as a result, and, right? And that's where we had today, we had Gary Gold talking about it. And he's been on different, I was talking with him uh, here a little bit ago, and he's saying, you know, this is one of the few programs where you're actually seeing uh, success, measurable success over and over and over. Sure. And, yeah, and the, the only way we can do that is if everybody's committed. Totally. It, it's not just one agency or one group that's that that's made this a success. You know, we couldn't. We couldn't do this without the Department of Interior, without the water. We couldn't do it without the dams from the Bureau of Reclamation. We sure. couldn't do it. I mean, besides, I and mean, this is not just not just funding. We couldn't do it takes the, a village kind of idea. Right? Exactly. We couldn't do the on the ground monitoring without um, the Division of Wildlife. Yeah. You know, we couldn't do transporting the water without the you know water district, without you know like Central Utah Water Conservancy District, or you know you got Jordan Valley Water Conservancy District. You got the Provo Reservoir Water Users Association, which runs the dam. And, yeah. You, you know, and so uh, 
definitely a lot of great involvement. And I would ask, I guess, with your on the boots, if you will, impression, because you're the one that's coordinating all this. Mm -hmm. What are your next steps? I mean, I know we we heard a lot today about the Pro River Delta project that's finishing up in 2024. Yeah. How how do you see things moving forward to continue the success? So the Delta is going to be a big component. It's, you know, people are saying that it's the missing key, the missing link. Sure. But but on top of that, um, going forward, there's going to be a lot more refining process. Uh, You know, we've done awesome things. We've done great things. Um, but especially as, as you know, the Utah Lake Authority, the Utah Lake Commission's transferring into the Utah Lake Authority. There's more interest in Utah Lake. Um, there's more just with the development in the West. There's there's uh, more people coming here to Utah. Uh, you know, looking at this in a in a holistic or pragmatic standpoint, you know, going forward, we're we're trying to optimize. I guess not to use a sixty-four dollar word that's been overused by every <laughs> you, you know, by, by by every marketing company. Yeah, you know, but there's been a lot of great work yeah, done. There's been a like lot. Like said, refine. Yeah, right? and and, that, and, that, and that's points. what it is. There's there's things that we still don't know. There's things that we're doing um, that we've got. It's our best estimated, you know, scientific guess. You know, there's a swag, you know, on there, and so we're we're trying to dial it in and and figure out what exactly because you got a species that's a long-lived species, but still, as much as we know, we don't know enough to really dial it in even more. It, you know, they're only here. We know there's a lot of suckers across the United States and, and we got a good idea on a lot of stuff, but refining process, we're going to go through, um, obviously, you know, the partners are committed to going to delisting, but you know, a very important part of it is, and, and we feel that we can get delisted. Uh, and with the Delta coming online, if it if it reacts like the Hobble Creek Wildlife Management Area, we probably will see the recruitment we need to get to that point of delisting, but also the commitment um, to maintain and keep it from going back on the list. You know, that's going to be taking, it's not just, you know, the program will still be around in some way, shape, or form, even after it's delisted, just to make sure that we're still having the water deliveries, we're still having, you know, we're still managing. Sure. And it, and it, and it benefits everybody. It's not just because of the June sucker. It, it does benefit all of the people. Oh, yeah. Uh, yeah Habitat you know. at the lake, restoring yep. the lake, new recreational resources. There's definitely benefits for everyone. Exactly. So, that, you know, the, the way forward, and like I said, you know, we're, we're still the eyes on the prize. We're still going to go for delisting, uh, but it's going to make sure that we're, you know, optimized. And as we learn more, what can we do to, to be better? You know, I guess would, is what I'd say. My name is George Weekly. I'm the Deputy Field Office Supervisor for the U.S. Fish and Wildlife Service. I've been involved with June Sucker for seven years now. I started out actually as the fisheries biologist in charge of June Sucker oh, really? for the Fish and Wildlife Service. That's awesome. And so uh, it's been great to see the successes over the last 20 years. You know, I've been a part of seven of them. and. And uh, the successes that I've seen in my seven years have been incredible. Uh, I think back to what things were 20 years ago, and it's just astronomical, the changes that we've seen, um, whether that's the carp removal. And I hear from anglers all the time of, you know, the lake is getting better. It is clear, like I can see the bottom most days now. It's, you know, it didn't used to be that way. And to, you know, see the success of June Sucker and how that has benefited the overall ecosystem of Utah Lake. You know, I look at June Sucker as an indicator species in that uh, that species is kind of the bell the bellwether. You know, it, it's the canary in the coal mine for Utah Lake. And so when June Sucker does well, Utah Lake does well. And so to see that success 
uh, of the species to where we're over 30,000 spawning fish, you know, going into the Provo River and the other deltas every spring to, to spawn and, and uh, uh, recruit into the, the natural population is amazing. And, you know, to go from a thousand fish at most, you know, 30 years ago to, you know, probably 50,000 plus fish in the lake is amazing. Seeing all these great successes, and obviously we couldn't be more excited about them, what are your hopes for the future of the program and its efforts at the lake? Yeah, so I think there's a number of things. I'm really excited to see uh, the implementation of the Provo River Delta and what that's going to mean for June Sucker and what that's going to mean for the local communities as a recreational amenity, whether that's, you know, uh, the trails in and around the wildlife watching the the delta itself for June Sucker and the ability to increase natural recruitment of the species. Uh, I think it's all going to be a, a, a big success and a big win and I'm really excited to see how much of a success and how much of a win it really is. Um, you know, the th there's some things that I'd like to see, you know, move forward a little bit more. I think once the delta comes online, I we're going to need to figure out how much additional water we're going to need to make this a long-term success. Sure. And uh, so there's going to be some interesting and perhaps some difficult conversations ahead. I think also looking at uh, some of the invasive species, uh, you know, how do we maintain the success that we've been able to accomplish with carmen carp? How do we deal with invasive northern pike in the lake? Those are the challenges that I see us continuing to work on into the future. Couldn't have worse timing on that. <laughs> I'd say, I, I'll, you're good. It's too far enough now. Okay. Uh, and so uh, there's, I would like to see some of those things moving forward. Um, but I'll say that, you know, the success of the partnerships give me a lot of hope and a lot of opportunity to say that we're going to meet those challenges head on now and into the future. So, Chrissy Wilson, I used to be the Assistant Chief for Native Aquatics for Utah Division of Wildlife Resources. I spent eight years of my career in the Provo office overseeing the Division of Wildlife Resources involvement in the June Sucker Program. And then I went to the Salt Lake office as a coordinator and an Assistant Chief, so I was there for 12 years. So I've been involved in the June Sucker Program for 20 years. That's amazing. Before I retired. Thank you for so your service it was, that, it was wonderful. It was a great yeah, experience. Sure. So I was telling, talking this telling about this story so this story yeah. is in the spring when the suckers come up the river to spawn we were trying to develop brood stock so what we would do is they, they they move at night so during the day the suckers are you know settle in the deep they don't move okay. so at night is when they move to these places where they're going to do their spawning so what we would do is we would have our trucks on that pathway along the Provo River where the suckers were coming in to spawn and what we'd do is we put a spotlight on the river when we see a sucker crews would jump out go grab find, catch this sucker <laughs> and we'd have a whole bunch of folks in the river catching suckers and then we put them in these live wells in these cages until we could then identify is that a sucker we need to do a cross because we need a unique male a unique female to do a cross to develop our our brood stock okay so during the spawning period that last anywhere from 
two to four weeks. So generally, since I was the project leader and I was leading this, we had this old beat up trailer. It was missing half the floor. I mean, it was a piece of, <laughs> it was just not, a, but it was the only thing we had. So we would bring that and park it down at the river. So we do our work at night, catch these fish, put them in the, the live wells, and then the crew would go home because you know, there wasn't anything left for them sure. to do. So they would go home. Then at four o'clock, I would pull the drift nets to get all the larval fish to determine what larvae you're moving down and then stay with the fish all night long. So then in the morning, <laughs> the crews would come. We would determine which fish we were going to use. We'd do our stream side spawning and then send the eggs up to the, the hatchery to be to reared. So I did that every year for eight years in a row for three weeks at a time i wouldn't <laughs> i wouldn't go home i would stay at the river because we, we had work you know fish don't know it's a, a weekend fish don't know it's a holiday <laughs> so they were there and so we had to be there for that full time so it was quite quite an experience oh i'd love that i'm, yeah. I'm a camping enthusiast myself but three weeks right on the river that's something well, else and i wasn't a very good camper <laughs> either yeah, it was, so but, so how does this feel for you i mean I, I obviously like you said you're retired but coming back today and celebrating 20 years of the program and all that it's accomplished how does that leave you feeling you know i think I agree with a lot of what was said today. It's all partnerships. It, we would never have been able to do this if we didn't have all the partners that we did that were involved, all of us working together. We knew it was going to take a long time. And the reason being is if you think about non-natives being introduced and how you know they're a threat to the species, well that happened like 50, 60, 70, 80 years ago. Well you got to give you got to give us that much time to recover. Sure. <laughs> so 20 years is good and we're making great progress, but I think that it's going to be because of the invasive species. It's going to be an ongoing prog pro program for a long time. And I think yeah. it's great to see that those partnerships and that's something everybody's mentioned yeah. are a good foundation to keep the program going right. moving forward. Right. Personally, I'm really excited to see the Pro River Delta project wrap up the next oh, couple of years. I, I can't wait to take a kayak down through some of those channels yeah. and see it right up close. Yeah. So And I want to see a drone. I want a drone drone to fly There you over. go. I'd no, love I'd love to, to see, see that, that too. That'd be a yeah, great that view. would be really So cool. thank you so much. We hope you enjoyed listening to some of those conversations. It definitely was an enjoyable experience for our staff. It was interesting to see the uh, consistency in the pattern of partnerships, of working together, of accomplishing more when we plan uh, cohesively and collaboratively and comprehensively and tackle a problem um, with all parties involved with that same goal in mind. And we wanted to make sure we highlight as well, something that's really cool to see was the benefits to the lake as a whole, um, not just the June sucker, but the other fish species having additional habitat, having more water available. And that water is not just for the habitat and, and the wildlife too, but also for us as, you know, water users, being able to have drinking water available and have the Provo River not run dry during different times of the year. Um, there's additional recreational amenities that are being provided with the Pro River Delta project and others. So there's a lot of great benefits. And we really hope you enjoyed hearing from some of those who've been working on this effort for decades. And we hope that you also can see the hope for the future. That there is that goal of a full delisting of the June Sucker. And this Pro River Delta project is that next step. So make sure you check out the episodes about the Pro River Delta project. There's several on the project. There's several on the June Sucker program. It's delisting and others. There's a lot of great information on the podcast for the June Sucker efforts.
Thanks for listening to Utah Lake Facts, Fiction, and Fun. If you enjoyed this episode, please make sure to subscribe so that you can receive notifications each time an episode comes out on Thursday mornings. And if there's something in here that you feel you can share, please post the link online, share with your friends so that everyone else can also learn about the facts, fiction, and fun to do with Utah Lake.